Shante, thank you uh, for being with us here, staying over for the weekend. You started out on Wall Street, yeah. and now you're diving into relationships and helping us figure it out. You've you figured out how to make the Dow work. Now help <laughs> us make marriage work, okay? It is the strangest thing. I mean, how uh, God did this total right-hand turn. <clears throat> and I'm sorry I've got this frog in my throat. Um, but it's really interesting to see how I started out using that analytical skill set to understand things on Wall Street, big Japanese banks, you know. And when I moved to Atlanta, this whole thing started um, because I started writing a couple of novels. And one of the main characters in the novel that I was writing was a man. And I realized I didn't know how to put thoughts in his head. <laughs> like, what's a guy going to be thinking? I don't know, but I had to say what my main character was thinking, right? And so this whole thing started because I started asking guys, you know, like if we'd be out to dinner with another couple, I'd go to the other guy and I'd say, okay, here's my scene in the book. What would you be thinking if this was you? And often, ladies, as they started telling me what they'd really be thinking half the time, I'm like, seriously? <laughs> like, I, was, I was so shocked by some of the things that these men were saying. And, wow. and as I started doing more of these conversations, I realized what I was hearing was really, really important stuff. It was, it was things that these men often said that they were thinking or feeling every day that they didn't necessarily know how to explain to their wives. And um, so that's when the analyst hat went on, you know, because I realized I needed to know this. Other women need to. Yeah. And so God made this really cool way for me to do a big um, nationally representative survey of men uh, to find out if this stuff was true. Like, I hadn't just interviewed the hundred weirdest men on the planet, you know? Like, yeah. and, it, and it was. I mean, there's always um, exceptions. You know, if 80% of men said one way, by definition, 20% didn't, right? Everybody's an individual. But it, as I started doing more of these studies, not just with men, but women and other things, I realized mm. this is stuff that will change our lives once we know it. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more in depth about your research. Yeah, so the way that I did it um, is essentially bringing this kind of rigorous research process to bear so that it's not just my opinion, okay. right? Um, and so to be able to do that, it was a lot of interviews, a lot of focus groups, and then whatever it was that we were studying, we, it culminates in a big nationally representative survey across all ages, religious backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, to be, to be able to say, you know, what percentage of people does this really apply to? And to be, it, it's sometimes when you're hearing something that's a little bit hard to hear, it helps to, to be able to say, well, you know, if it's 75% of men or 83% of women, it may be something I need to look at for my yeah, spouse. Yeah. So that's the reason that we did it that way. And we've done the surveys of men and women and marriages and the workplace and teenagers. So we've gone pretty far afield on that mm. now. Great. Wow. Great. Shanti, according to the Bible, why can we have hope in marriage? You know, it's interesting. We should have hope for marriage. Yeah. Um, you know, God invented this institution <laughs> called marriage, yeah. and yet somehow we hear so much discouraging news these days about, you know, supposedly this divorce rate, and, you know, you kind of think so many marriages are unhappy. Mm -hmm. 
And it's almost like we've got this feeling that somehow we've broken this institution that God created. And instead, as I started doing so much of this research, I realized, you know, so much of that is just designed by the enemy to discourage it, to discourage us. Um, because there's so much more hope than we think. And um, there's so much more that's simple things that'll make a difference. You know, you spent eight years looking at divorce, and that can be pretty dreary. Um, (laughs) But in the midst of that research, you found some things that were very helpful. Would you share with us what you discovered that would give hope to to all of us? Yeah, so here's the the bottom line. As as I was doing all the interviews with, you know, just us as average people, Basically, I realized there is one, across all the studies, there is one common denominator mm. in whether a marriage survives or fails. Mm. There's a lot mm. of factors that get in the way, you know, obviously, yeah. Yeah. but in terms of either outcome, it's just one thing. Mm. It's whether the couple has a sense of hope or a sense of futility. Mm. Wow. wow. Like if you, you might be having a really difficult time, but if you think, you know what, we're going to make it then you probably will. Mm. And it's once you start thinking, you know, the ship is going to sink anyway, that's Mm. when it makes Mm. you think, well, why bother if the ship is going to sink? Why bother spending so much energy trying to bail it out, right? So I was seeing that, you know, there was this sense of futility about a lot of marriage stuff today. Mm. And then I was writing a column one day. I used to be be a newspaper columnist, and um, I was writing a column about divorce, and I wanted to correctly cite the divorce statistics. You know, I thought maybe it wasn't 50, you know, maybe it was 48.7, you know, whatever the number was. And as I started looking at the Census Bureau and the CDC and vital statistics and all the things that are out there, the stuff I was seeing didn't match this conventional Mm. wisdom Mm. at all. And I realized if that's not true, this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I spent sort of eight years trying to understand it. It is so complicated. It is really hard to simplify. But it turns out that most of what we've been believing about the divorce rate Mm -hmm. and about how many marriages fail, it turns out most of that is a total myth. Because what you see out there when university professor so-and-so projects a divorce rate of such and such, you miss the word projects. It's mm. all a projection. Mm. We have never true. hit a 50% divorce rate. Wow. We've never gotten close mm. for society as a whole. So mm. right now, um, for example, according to the Census Bureau, right now, as we're sitting here, 71% of people are still married to their first spouse. Wow. 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 That's great news. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's great news. And, and by the way, the 29% who aren't still married to their first spouse, that includes everyone who was married for 50 years and their spouse died. Wow. Mm. That's not wow. even the divorce rate. Like I said, this whole thing is so mm. complicated. No one really knows exactly what the divorce rate is, but we can get closer. And it's probably somewhere around 25%-ish. Mm. Now, that's still way too high, but it's a world away yeah. from 50. Yeah. And it means essentially, instead of sort of a flip of the coin, which is kind of what it feels like today with that mm. bad you know, number, instead, what it means is that the vast majority of marriages are gonna be strong and happy for a lifetime. Mm. And if you're having trouble in your marriage or you've got a friend who is, you can come alongside them and say, you know what? You are going to make it. Most people do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Big you found difference. some interesting, I thought, intriguing data. Uh, sometimes we hear that the divorce rate in church people is the same as yeah. society. Mm -hmm. Tell us what your discovery. So it turns out that that is a complete myth, and it's it's based on a misunderstanding of the George Barna studies. I think yeah, probably yeah, a lot of people have seen the George yeah. Barna studies, and they've gone everywhere. And we've all I've quoted from the yeah. stage, you know, what the news report said that Barna found that the rate of divorce is the same in the church. And he never found it because he never studied people in the church. Mm. He was only studying belief systems. Mm. So like you call people on the phone and you ask the, are you a Christian? Are you a Jew? Are you a Muslim? You know, those kinds mm -hmm. of questions. Those groups did have the same divorce rates. Okay. But he specifically excluded whether they went to church from the analysis because oh. that wasn't what he was trying to study. And so what I did is I partnered with the Barna group and bought that data set and we re-ran all of those numbers but with that factor added back in of was the person in church last week. Mm -hmm. And if they were in church last week, according to Barna, and by the way, every other study that's ever been done on this, the divorce rate may be, you know, people debate it, but there is no debate on this one mm. about church attendance. And according to all of the studies, if you go to church regularly, the divorce rate drops anywhere from 25 to 50 percent wow. or more. Wow. So really? it's not just that coming to church and being a part of a Christian community and listening mm -hmm. to God's word, mm -hmm. it's not just that it matters for your marriage, mm -hmm. it matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if people just, as a married couple, their marriage will last longer by by coming to church weekly, yeah. practicing prayer, bringing the pastor tamales, uh, <laughs> those, those factors make Absolutely, a huge pastor. difference yes. in your marriage. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. Very important. Yes. Yes. Wow. So Shanti, as spouses, what are the little things that we can do that will make the biggest difference? So it turns out there are so many little things where you understand some of these things about each other that your eyes just weren't opened to before mm. that have this profound impact. And it's not rocket science. I think, I think we've all said out loud um, something that, if you think about it, is really crazy. Like, we've all said as we're mentoring other couples or, you know, you hear sometimes pastors say this, not you, of course, but you hear, you hear people say things like, you know, marriage is hard. Yeah. It's just hard. And it's like, I'm sorry, that is not the best advertisement for this amazing institution mm. that God created for our good, right. right, and his glory. I mean, and I think, you know, because what we mean is marriage takes hard work yeah. at times, yeah. Yeah. but there's nothing inherently complicated about it. And so sometimes it can feel so hopeless because you don't realize, you know, there are some little things yeah. that if you just understood this or just tried this, it can make a big difference mm -hmm. in marriage. Because listen, we've all, everybody cares about one another. We're trying real hard. We just don't realize that sometimes we're trying hard in the wrong areas. We're sometimes hurting each other and we don't attend it. Don't mean to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Shanti, all the women in here, 
we sometimes are always wondering what's actually happening in the brain of our husband and what are they actually thinking about. Yes, so we are. In, our research, in your research, you said that there's one thing that, in, that if women only knew, this one thing would make a huge difference. What is that? Yes. So <laughs> all the guys are like, what's she going to say? Uh, <laughs> yeah. We want to so, know. Yeah. So it turns out, here's the, the thing that is more game-changing than anything else. Ladies, once we realize our big, strong, confident-looking man, that's not how he feels about himself on the inside. And that our men, they may look so confident in themselves, and on the inside, there is so much more Mm self-doubt, and there's so much more vulnerability and insecurity, Mm -hmm. and we we don't even know it's there. Mm -hmm. And it's like the guys that I interviewed and, you know, did the surveys with, the way they described it, kind of what it feels like internally to be a, a dude, <laughs> what it feels like is sort of this feeling like, yeah, you know, I want to be great at what I do. I want to do good at whatever it is. Like, I want to be, be a great husband, mm-hmm. or I want to be a great dad, or I want to be a great salesman, or whatever it is, you know, they're doing, mm-hmm. but I'm really not sure that I know what I'm doing, and I hope nobody finds out. Mm-hmm. And there's this insecurity and Mm -hmm. self-doubt and it's under there and we don't know it's there and it's like a raw nerve Mm -hmm. and we can hit it and say no you're not good at what you do and Mm -hmm. whether it's a big thing like being a good dad or a little thing like whether you put the dishes in the dishwasher right like Mm -hmm. we don't we don't realize that when you come along behind him and re-put the dishes in the dishwasher different because he didn't do it right (laughs) Am I talking to anybody, ladies? Okay, all the men are like, I can't nod. (laughs) Like, I'll get in trouble if I nod. Um, But when we do that, we're hitting a nerve and saying, no, you're inept. You're no good at what you do. And that, for a man, is his most painful feeling. Wow. One of the things that you write in your book for for women only, and and I read the book because I was really curious to know what the book said. What are you telling them? Yeah, what, what are you telling women? But one of the things that I found was profoundly interesting is this idea that men need respect and that, you know, the Bible talks about how husbands need to love their wives and, yeah. and that wives need to show respect to the husband. I think there's, there's kind of a misunderstanding in the church about what that respect looks like. Yeah. Can you kind of unpack what that looks like to help everyone out? Yeah, so here's what we found. And this, as a woman, this just blew my mind. Um, we, on the survey of the men we found that three out of four men said if they had to make a choice, and by the way, they wouldn't, they wouldn't want to have to make this choice, but if they had to, they said they would give up feeling that their wife loved them. Give it up wow. if they could just feel that she appreciated him mm. and that she wow. respected him wow. and that she trusted him mm. and believed in him and admired him. And those five things were so much more important to the average man, even than feeling that his wife loved him. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a big issue, big problem, because we women, we're really good at showing love, mm. right? Yeah. And we don't necessarily realize that, you know, when you criticize him, you know, or tell him what to do, that you're showing him the opposite mm. and saying, no, you're mm. no good at what you just tried to do. And it, like I said, it's painful. And yet instead, if you'll actually do the things that show appreciation or affirmation, build them up, I'm so proud of you, that that's something that just hits the nerve in a man. Wow. Yeah. And your research with, uh, concerning women, 
You said that yeah, let's the, switch it. <laughs> this, uh, you said there's the one thing that men do not understand. Yeah. What is that? We want to know what's the one thing <laughs> we don't understand. Well, you actually referenced it when you read the title of that chapter, why her I do will always mean do you? Because underneath her, you know, the surface, which may look so confident, underneath her surface, her question isn't like a guy's. A guy's is more, do I measure up? You know, am I any good at what I do? Her question is, am I lovable? Hmm. And we don't realize, see, guys, you don't recognize that when you get married and, you know, you see her walk down the aisle and you say, I do, there's, it sort of goes away in your mind, this question of whether she loves me. Like that just doesn't come up in your mind. Amen. And <laughs> you don't realize that in her brain, there is no switch that gets flipped to the, oh, I feel permanently loved now hmm. position, right? right? And instead that question of, am I lovable in marriage? It doesn't go away. It just morphs a little bit to being does he really love me? Mm. Would he choose me all over again? Is he glad he married me? And just like you as a guy are looking for signals to do I measure up? Does she think I measure up? Every day she's looking for the signals mm. of wow. does he really love me? Would he choose me all over yeah. again? That's good. Mm. Yeah. That's good. So what can we do now that we actually understand that our spouse has these internal ins insecurities? insecurities. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's two things. So let me tackle the, what, what women can do for their husbands okay. first. So I was so shocked when I found this out. And I was trying to figure out what can I, what can I say to my husband that's going to have the same sort of emotional impact on him that I love you does for me. Okay. Because obviously I love you hits all those notes of am I lovable, right? But I learned really quickly with my husband, his name is Jeff, I, I tried following him around the house like, oh, honey, I respect you so much, you know. <laughs> it's really embarrassing, but um, mm. I, that doesn't work. <laughs> um, the poor guy, after a while, he was like, uh, time out. Like, I know what you're trying to do, and I appreciate it, but it doesn't have the same ring to mm. it. So I went on this quest for years to try to figure out what you can say to a guy that does hit that emotional note mm. for him. And it turns out, ladies, it turns out it's thank you. Mm. Like wow. it's the little, noticing the little day-to-day -day things he does. Like, you know, thanks for bringing me my coffee in the morning or thanks for replacing the light bulbs, you know, that you notice that those are burned out or playing with the kids even though you were so tired after work, you're such a good dad. These little thank yous, it says to him, I noticed what you did on the outside. Mm -hmm. I noticed it and it was good and I appreciate it. So it's almost like a thanks for doing the dishes rather than, oh, but you didn't do it right, yeah. right? Because then that's like worse, like yeah. you better not say anything. <laughs> And so that to me was powerful on the guy's side. So on the guys for women's side, one of the things that was really powerful to see statistically is that because it's about the signal of, you know, I'm so glad I married you, it's not, it turns out, it's not anything you're not used to doing, guys. It's what you did when you were dating. It's sending mm. her that signal of I'm choosing you today. Mm. I'm choosing you today. Exactly that type of pursuit that you did while you were dating. And 
I'm looking at some of the men's faces now, and you're looking alarmed. Because <laughs> I had one guy who came up after a marriage conference, Jeff and I did. He was like, but that stuff was exhausting. Like, I did that so I could, I got married so I could stop doing that stuff. And, and see, the guys, you're thinking the big things, you know, like the candlelight dinner kind of things. And yeah, that stuff's good, but that's not what I mean. You can tell her, I'm choosing you all over again by reaching across and taking her hand when you're walking through a parking lot, right? Or putting your arm around her in church or when you're out to dinner with... <laughs> good job. Well, well done. Nothing like a cue. Well done. We're yes. trying to implement it here. Yes. We're trying to, we're trying to. Now, here's all the poor men in the congregation. You can are do like, it too. Uh, you can do it too. <laughs> you know? And the thing is, ladies... Don't think to yourself when he, like, reaches and takes your hand when you're walking out. Don't think to yourself, you are only doing that because she told you to, right? (laughs) Because, seriously, this is how both sides, this is how we feel about each other. We just didn't know these little things mattered. Right, right. Good. So when you studied... what the happiest couples do differently. Yeah. You discover that there is a prerequisite in order to find happiness in your marriage. What is that? Yeah, this, and this was a big statement for us. We've n- and never, ever in any, else of our, of any other of our studies have we ever said that we found a prerequisite mm. for a happy marriage. Mm. That, but this is the one where we don't think you can be happily married without this. Mm. And that is to believe the best of your spouse's intentions towards you, even when you're legitimately hurt. Because everybody gets hurt. The happiest marriages, the happily married couples, they get hurt. We hurt each other sometimes. Like one guy's like, even the best, most awesome Christian husband and wife can be a jerk sometimes. Like, but it doesn't mean we don't care. And because that's the problem is there's this sub sort of subconscious thing where, you know, if Jeff does something to hurt, that hurts my feelings, there's a, a subconscious little message that runs in my head that says, ow, like he knew how that would make me feel and he said it anyway. Mm-hmm. And what you're believing is he doesn't care about me, mm-hmm. right? That's the translation of that. Or if you're a guy, that it's very easy to think, you know, she does something, it's like nothing I do is ever good enough for her. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, she doesn't appreciate me. She doesn't care about me. And it turns out that's not true. Mm. We found statistically it was 99.37 something, something, something percent of people, even in the most difficult marriages, we absolutely do care. It's just that we can hurt each other's feelings. And whether or not you're going to have a happy marriage or recover a marriage from a difficult place and try to heal it, it is dependent on allowing yourself to believe Mm. no he cares about me because that's what the happy couples did they would get hurt and instead of those things they would think no i know he loves me i know she appreciates me so they must not have known how that would make me feel that's a conscious effort it's conscious it is it is a it is purposely changing how you feel so you believe the other person cares about you which is the truth yeah it yeah. kind of sounds like that verse in, in Scripture that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's, it's choosing intentionally yeah. to yeah. renew your mind on the mm-hmm. truth about marriage and yeah. about your spouse, and that makes a big difference. Another, another verse that I've really come to see in a new way 
is to take every thought captive out of mm. reverence for yeah. Christ mm. because it is yeah. easy to let these, he doesn't care, she, nothing I do is ever good enough for her. It is easy to let those thoughts poison and the enemy loves that, yeah. right? Yeah. Take those thoughts captive. Recognize that is not true. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You, you were talking also just about the influence of the Holy Spirit in that process. Talk yeah. a little bit about us. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, it is so crucial to be able to ask the Lord to bring truth to your mind, to have your mind renewed, um, because it is so easy to fall into the sinful patterns, yeah. right? You know, we see all the way back in Genesis, you know, that the, the sinful patterns happen of the wife, you know, Eve wanting to control her husband, mm. right? And the husband, when Eve is saying, hey, we're going to eat this fruit, and, you know, he should be, he should have grabbed the fruit out of her hand and chucked it back in the serpent's eye and said, stay away from my wife, mm. right? Yep. That's what he should have done. And instead, we see his sinful tendency, which is to back off mm. and be passive. And it's the same both of us have those sinful tendencies. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to mm. show us when we're getting yeah. into those and to fight them and to confront them and know that God will help us do that. One, one area that often doesn't get a lot of conversation in the church is about physical intimacy. And uh, sometimes there's... You're going to go there. The, yes. 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 <laughs> so can you share with us, how can couples get on the same page in this very important area of marriage? Yeah, um... So the PG-13 version. Um, so it turns out there, that we both, both men and women, have a really, really fundamental misunderstanding in this area of physical intimacy. For us as women, we think of physical intimacy in our marriages as being primarily a physical need for him. That's kind of the category we mentally put it in. You know, it's a physical need. It's a physical urge. And, you, you know, when you've been, I don't know, chasing kids around all day, sleep seems like a physical need too, right? <laughs> and instead, what I found as I surveyed all these men and I asked them, what's the importance of this for you in your life? What's the importance? What I heard from the men had nothing to do with the physical. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. What I heard from them was entirely this enormous emotional need that they couldn't get met any other way. And ladies, here's what the need is. It's the need that every man has to feel that his wife desires him and that she wants him. And what we found is that if a man feels his wife desires him, it gives him a sense of confidence and a sense Mm of kind of well-being, but not just in the bedroom. Like it's in all the other areas of his life. And if he doesn't feel desired, he feels this almost a sense of depression. And, you know, like, I must be so undesirable, I can't even compete with her pillow, right? <laughs> and not a good feeling. And, and almost gives him a sense of a lack of confidence in all the other areas of his life. So it's not primarily a physical need. Um, so, and then switching it, and what men tend not to get about women in this area, is that it turns out that... Men think if, there's, if this isn't happening as much as he wants, and, and we should acknowledge, by the way, that there are some couples that are flipped on this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was somewhere around 20% of couples, which is not a small, tiny number, right? right? Mm-hmm. But in most cases where the, the husband has more of that desire, it turns out he thinks if it's not happening, 
that there's only the one reason why, which is that he's not desirable. And it turns out, guys, that was almost zero. It was 4% of women who thought Mm. that, 4%. The vast majority of the women, it's a physiological difference between men and women. And do you mind if I explain this really quickly? So it turns out there's two different types of desire. There's something called assertive desire and someone who has assertive desire has a desire to pursue sex and to initiate it and kind of think about it all the time and be ready at a moment's notice. You know, guess who tends to have that? Like it tends to be tied to testosterone. But there's a completely different type of desire. It's called receptive desire. And someone with receptive desire is just as willing and enjoys it just as much when it's happening, but absolutely doesn't have the desire to pursue it or initiate it and isn't thinking about it all the time. And actually, the the biggest thing is, isn't ready at a moment's notice. And that tends to be tied to estrogen. And we say, you know, someone with receptive desire, she just needs to be approached differently. Like, she needs to know what you've got on your menu for the evening before you get to the bedroom. And the guys are like, you mean I need to warn her? Like, that's, <laughs> that doesn't feel so good. And no, it's not, it's really, we call it anticipation time. Because, like, I'll give you an example. Um, so we were in the middle of writing this chapter, and Jeff had done something really sweet, and we were talking about it over breakfast, and... And I said, thanks so much for doing that. And he kind of grinned and he said, just remember that later tonight. <laughs> and, and I kind of, I was embarrassed, but I was like, okay, can I use that example? Because that's a really good example. It's just a little flirty comment, but it gets her anticipating it because she's just physiologically different. Mm-hmm. Well, as we r- bring this to a conclusion, what do you want people to walk away with? What do you want to have the take home moments with you know the most important thing is that there's so much hope for marriage like what we were talking about earlier that we haven't managed to somehow ruin or break this amazing covenant institution that god created Um, and it's supposed to be abundant that's his promise for us he wouldn't promise us that if we couldn't get there and it's so much simpler it really, there are certainly, there are some big issues that sometimes get in the way, but we find that if you will learn and apply some of these little things, like understanding just these little things, like ladies, just saying thank you, looking for things every day to say thank you and avoiding, but you didn't do it right, like avoiding that, and men looking for the ways to send that message, I'm so glad I married you. Like just that alone, you'll start to see some changes. Not to mention, you know, some of the other things that we didn't get a chance to get into, but the, the, the beauty of this is that that is what God has for our marriages. So that's a lot of hope there. Great. For just a moment, let me me draw this to a conclusion, a summation if I can. And I want to take us to the Bible, the book of Genesis. That's where we find the first marriage. And marriage was created by God. It was established by God in the garden of beginning. And the Bible says that He created man and woman. And this is before sin came. This is before the forbidden fruit. This is before rebellion against God. Before sin even came into existence, it was there before mankind participated. In that paradise setting, 
And the Bible says God created man. And then he said, I need to create him a helper to make him complete. And I want you to capture something here. God created man, called it good, but created man with a need that God himself was not going to meet. Inside mankind, man, God created this need. And God said, I'm not going to meet this need, but I'll give you somebody that will. That was woman. And then the scripture adds in the book of Genesis that for this reason will a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall become not a couple, but one. What's interesting about that is God sees man and woman together in marriage, not cohabitation, in marriage. God sees them as one, not separated. You see, God created man with, with needs that only a woman can meet. And God created a woman with needs that only a man can meet. And God called that good and God brought them together for them to be complete. And I think some of us, perhaps we're, we're caught into that season where marriage is boring and we've lost some of the sparkle and the luster. Maybe even conflict in the home right now. Maybe you're looking for the back door. Maybe you're thinking about throwing in the towel on your marriage. God intends that the marriage you're in now be one that is complete. God created her for you, sir, so you can be complete. And sometimes, sometimes we guys or ladies, we think, well, you know, they're so opposite. I'm this way and they're so opposite. That's the way God intended. <laughs> for you see, if Denise was an, a, an exact replica of me, then I don't need her. I need her to be different from me. She adds things and completes things that I don't have the ability to see. She has perspectives that I'm blinded to. And that's God's intention. God intends the marriage you're in now to be one that succeeds and one that works. Additionally, we have something in Scripture that sometimes I think we get wrong. We, we say God created Adam and Eve. I want to point out something to us. God never called woman Eve. In fact, in Genesis chapter 5, verse number 2, it says that God created them and God called them, them, Adam. Her name was Adam. His name was Adam because they were one. It was God's intention that man and woman be one. Emotionally, spiritually, in every aspect, they are one, completing each other. That was God's design. But something happened. It's called sin. Mankind rebelled against God. Man and woman took the forbidden fruit. And then God says, because you disobeyed me, I'm going to put a curse and and the woman will be cursed, and the man will be cursed, and the ground will be cursed. And after it's all done, then Genesis chapter 3, verse number 20 adds something. After sin came in, here's what Adam did. And the Bible says, and Adam called her 
Eve. God called her Adam. God intended that they be one. But when sin came in, Adam pushed her away. Adam was saying, you get more on your, I'm going to have my own identity separate. And there was a wall. There was a separation. You only, only the things I want, not the things I need. Only you stay on your side and I'll stay on my side. And that began the division right there. Genesis 3 and 20. I can trace every divorce that's ever occurred back to that verse. Because marriage, the first division in marriage occurred. It's not what God intended. God doesn't intend that there be a wedge between you and your spouse. God doesn't intend that we hold on to our... God doesn't intend that we hold on to our bitterness. God doesn't intend that we hold on to the mistakes of our spouse. God intends man and woman to be one and to be complete. You say, but we've lost that. We've never had that. You can have that. How do I get that? When we give our life to Christ and we invite Christ into the marriage, then we restore what we lost. God intends for you to have a successful and a meaningful, happy marriage. And it begins with restoring what was lost, putting Christ at the center. And I'm going to invite you today to pray with me. And I'm going to invite across this audience, husbands and wives, if you're here, to reach over and grab his hand and grab her hand. And we're going to pray together. As you take your spouse's hand, would you bow your head and close your eyes? We're going to have a prayer moment. And this prayer moment for some needs to be a prayer of forgiving. There's been hurt, mistake, wounded ego that has driven you apart. You have been together physically. You've been together emotionally, but you've never been together spiritually. You've never really said Christ is a part of the marriage. You can do that now. You can commit to serve the Lord together. You can commit that we're going to honor the Lord. We're going to, we're going to follow God's pattern. I, I invite all the men in this, in this audience, don't push her away. Don't let her be an Eve. Pull her back to you. Win her back to you. Become, become the couple God intended. And that starts as a spiritual healing in our hearts and in the marriage. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to your marriage, the marriage you're in now, to make that marriage a success. Let's pray. Father, I believe that couples have have identified in this just brief time today that Shanti has identified insights that are so prone to us, our propensity, our, our guardedness, our being misinformed, le- leading with a wrong perception and our judgmental attitude or lack of forgiveness in the relationship. But now, God, we've, we're, we're realizing 
that we're different for a reason and we can meet each other's needs and we can complete each other. And I pray, God, you'll draw couples together. You'll heal, heal marriages. Some have had a decade or more of distance and conflict. But Lord, you can heal that. As they seek your forgiveness today and grant forgiveness to their spouse, they can push the reset button today in their marriage. I pray for a stronger family. I pray for a stronger marriage. I pray, God, they'll be united and let your love fill their heart. And God, we commit to serve you. And I speak your favor and your blessing upon their relationship as they follow and serve you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just real briefly before we dismiss, Shanti will be at the table back here. Welcome to stop by and pick up some of her resources. They'll be there only this morning. Then she'll head to the airport. This could be a blessing to you. Additionally, this is first Wednesday coming up, water baptism, as well as for our men, our first Wednesday meeting for those that are a part of that or would like to join me in this first Wednesday gathering for men this Wednesday. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Go in the 